Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Before we take a moment and and pray for the offering, uh, something I wanted to share. I have conversations with so many people about so many things, and um, a lot of times... When you talk about the church and pastors, uh, a lot of people criticize pastors because they feel like all we do is talk about money. And if you guys have been around, you can sit for a minute, sit for a minute. <laughs> it's gonna be, uh, uh, if you guys have been around for any length of time, you know that's not the only thing we talk about is just money. But we do talk about money. Um, some pastors do full sermons on it, right? They'll do full messages on tithing and money, and usually it's when tithes aren't coming in that they'll say, I need to do a sermon on tithing. I can understand how that can be a little bit sound manipulative. Um, But the reason that we talk about money is not because we just want you to give money. It's because it's what the Bible tells us to do. If you look in the Bible, right, there are 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer. Specifically, here's how to pray. Over 1,000 on giving, not tithing, but just giving in general, generosity, whether it's giving to other people, helping other people, giving to people in community. And over half of the parables that Jesus spoke were about giving. Again, not about tithing, but about giving. So that's one of the things that we try to focus on. Not, hey, make sure you tithe, put your money in the basket, but giving in general, whether it be of your time and your talent and your treasure, And a lot of the people, not saying this is the case for everyone, a lot of people that have an issue with pastors talking about money is because they have an issue with money. And one of the things that Jesus said, again, one of his parables in the book of Matthew, he said, no one can serve two masters, is the amplified version, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. So if you're trying to serve God, and you're trying to serve money, it's not going to work, right? And he said, you can't serve God and mammon. He didn't say money. He said mammon, which was a word meaning the, uh, the, the deceitful riches and money and professions. And it's not money. It's the desire to have more money and more stuff. It's trying to serve God while trying to serve the desire that says, I, got, I can't serve God because I got to go get three extra jobs so I can have a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger this and more clothes and more gaming stuff and whatever. That, that's really where a lot of the issue with people and pastors talking about money comes from. Although I will admit there are a lot of pastors that when they do talk about money, it's kind of manipulative. So here's one of the things that we're going to commit to you is that uh, I think the last series we did on tithing was probably over 10 years ago. And we haven't done one since because as we go through the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about money and giving. And then when it does, we'll talk about it. And then uh, when in times like this, when we pray for the offering, we'll give thanks to God. So we probably will never do a series on tithing. We'll talk about it. Here's what tithing is when the Bible talks about it. Uh, but we also won't try to manipulate people into giving. That, that, that's not God-honoring. It's not what we do here, uh, whether it's people online or whatever. Uh, we're never going to be the people that says, hey, make sure when you get that bonus check or this, that, or the other, 
that you give to the church. That's between you and God. But I will always say, and this is just me, always say, that if you're one of the people who you're giving money to the church, but you can't pay your bills and you don't have food on your table, that is not God-honoring, in my opinion. What is God-honoring is to say, I don't know how it all worked out, but I'm paying my bills. I'm able to have food on the table. I shouldn't. God made it happen, so I'm going to take what's left over and definitely give to God, whether that be a dollar, whether that be $10, whatever it is. So I'm always going to tell you to make sure you take care of your family first, make sure your bills are paid first. And if you acknowledge that God did that for you, then yeah, go ahead and tithe. But we will, excuse me, always, always, always take time to give thanks to God and give praise to God for the financial resources that he has blessed us with. Amen. And we will always try to remember to thank all of you who do take the time, whether you're giving of your treasure of your talent, of your time uh, to our little faith community, we will always try to be mindful to thank all of you. So I hope that helps everyone understand where we stand on tithing. And if it doesn't, uh, just come see me. But I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, we are so grateful for every single thing that you give us with, every blessing you pour out on us, every dollar that we have, every penny that we have, it is all because of you. And we as a community of faith want to ensure that we are faithful, faithful to the resources that you provide, that we don't squander them, that we don't waste them, but that we use them in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Making your way back to your seats and getting situated. Uh, we are continuing in our series, walking through the gospel of Mark. Uh, and again, I'm going to emphasize that word gospel because it's what Mark emphasizes throughout uh, his book is the importance of the gospel. Uh, and we talked about last week how Jesus also emphasized how important it is to understand and to spend time in the Word of God. So I'm just going to put a couple of verses uh, up on the screen. Uh, we read through this where he talked about with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the Word to them meaning his disciples and the people, his followers, as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. When he was alone with the disciples, he explained everything. Uh, and I'm going to put this up in the message version because it kind of expounds on it and makes it more clear uh, because it says, with many stories like these, he presented his message to them, fitting the stories to their experience and their maturity. And we said a parable uh, it's not a riddle, it's not a rhyme, uh, it, it, it's from the same root word as parallel, meaning side by side, where Jesus would take a spiritual truth, and then he would come up with a story or an account or something that fit their lifestyle to help to explain it, and then uh, he was never without a story when he spoke, without a parable, without a way to make sure they understood it to their lifestyle, and when he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything. He made sure that they understood everything. He made sure that they were crystal clear on here's what the Word of God says and here's what this means, right? Uh, so he made sure that uh, they understood the Word of God. And we're going to look at today from the Word of God three different parables 
that people just don't understand and take out of context. These three parables, or excuse me, not parables, three different miracles that Jesus performed. Now, each of these miracles he's done before, but they're going to show that people mattered to Jesus. He didn't just go out and do these miracles to gain followers or so that people would follow him. He did it to make a difference in the lives of the people, but he also did it so that people in that day and today in our day would understand the sovereignty of Jesus, right? That's a concept that a lot of people have difficulty with because we talk about the sovereignty of Jesus. He did a miracle to show that he is sovereignty over the spiritual world. Just as there's this real reality, earthly realm, you know, scientific, our universe, all that stuff, there's also a spiritual realm because if God exists and God is a spirit and God says, hey, there are other spirit beings in this realm, there is a spiritual realm, right? And if we're going to worship someone in the spiritual realm, shouldn't it be the one who is in charge of the spiritual realm? Why waste time with someone lesser? So he, he's going to do this miracle, and we've, we've talked about similar miracles. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail today. Uh, that shows his sovereignty over the spiritual realm, uh, his sovereignty over humanity, right, which is the earthly realm, like our physical world, like he walked on water, he healed people, he did things that showed he was sovereign over this earthly realm, but he also did things that showed he was sovereign over life and death. And this, is, this, this makes up 100% of where we do life, right? There's a spiritual realm that exists. We don't do life there, but it exists, right? There is the earthly realm where we do life. God is sovereign over that. And then there's life, living, and then there's death. God is sovereign over those as well, right? So that's, that's what we're going to look at today. Um, if you have a Bible... You can pull up Mark chapter 5, but I'm going to jump through a couple of other verses, and then I'm going to put all those verses up on screen, right? So we've seen this before, because in Mark chapter 1, uh, it says the people were amazed at his, meaning Jesus's, teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. That word teaching, it means doctrine, right? So when you compare Jesus's teaching to the teaching of the teachers of the law in that day, Jesus understood and had authority over that doctrine because as God, he is the one who revealed that doctrine to humanity. What we had then and what we have today are a lot of teachers and pastors and whatever who take the word of God out of context and twist it and maybe don't understand it. I had a conversation with someone uh, just this past week who was saying that, yes, God created Adam and Eve, but God also created other people and put them in other places all over the earth, and that's how the earth was populated. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. That, I, 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 so I, you know, I asked, where did you get that out of the Bible? And he said, if you read Genesis chapter 2, and I was like, where in Genesis chapter 2? He's like, well, you just got to read the whole chapter and you come away with that. And I'm like, okay. What about all the other verses that say God created humanity from one bloodline, from Adam and from Eve? Because, again, if you make up this doctrine, it's got to go with the rest of the Bible. If it conflicts with the Bible, I'm going to lean with God is right, and you're probably wrong. And this is the same thing that happens today. And this is what was happening in Jesus' day. There were teachers of the law, and the reason they had 613 and uh, all these different laws that didn't necessarily mesh with the Bible 
is because they didn't understand the word of God, right? But Jesus also demonstrated authority over the spiritual realm. He had healed people before, and we talked about this. Uh, he was t- healing a man who a bunch of friends uh, tore open the roof, lowered him down on the mat, and Jesus, the first thing, his first priority was to his spiritual well-being. So he looked at the guy that was paralyzed on the mat and said, your sins are forgiven. And everyone got mad at him. and was like, hey, you don't have the authority, right? Authority, that word authority means the permission in order to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus said, in order that you understand the Son of Man has authority and permission on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he said, I'm going to show you that I have the authority on earth, over the earthly realm, to forgive sins by demonstrating my authority over the earthly realm and healing paralyzed men. The guy got up, picked up his mat, and went on his way, right? And then uh, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, those are the apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. That word preach is different from teach. He sent them out to proclaim the truths of God's word, right? Teaching is, is to understand and reveal and instruct the doctrine of God's word, but he also gave them authority to drive out demons. He gave them permission over the spiritual realm because he was in charge of the spiritual realm, right? So that's what we're going to look at today. A lot of what we just talked about, we're going to look at today. Um, and he started out... Uh, with this miracle in Genesis, not Genesis, sorry, uh, Mark chapter 5. Again, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but I'm going to put a lot of verses on screen because I'm going to jump through a lot of the verses quickly. Mark chapter 5 says this, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And a lot of people read that impure spirit and they say, well, this was someone who was just confused. This was someone who had a mental health issue. This was someone who maybe heard voices and, and, and was dealing with mental health, and, and Jesus was just a great counselor. That's not what happened. Uh, it's not even close, uh, because this says, this man lived in the tombs. No one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Doesn't say rope, doesn't say string, it doesn't say yarn, with a chain. And it says, for he, this man, had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he could cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, uh, here's the thing we've got to understand. This wasn't about mental health. This was a demonic possession. This was about spiritual health. If they had left out, he broke the chains, and they just said, here's a guy who hears voices, here's a guy who cuts himself, here's a guy who cries out night and day, you could make the argument, maybe it was just mental health. But they're also saying, here's a guy who broke chains repeatedly, ripped iron apart repeatedly, demonstrated superhuman strength because it was a supernatural event. This was someone who was possessed, right? So then this is what happens. Uh, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. 
And here's the thing. Even the demons acknowledge the spiritual authority of Jesus. Right? They didn't come and say, who are you? They didn't come and say whatever. They acknowledged you are the son of the most high God. Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Right? Uh, he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And we talked about this when we uh, walked through the book of Daniel, because Daniel referenced this a little, about, a little bit. There are spiritual forces over certain areas. And there are some people who allow that. That's why there are some neighborhoods and communities where it doesn't make sense that are steeped in like addiction and drugs and crime and robbery. And right across the street, there's another neighboring area that's not. And a lot of people may attribute it to, oh, well, that's just a rich neighborhood and that's a poor neighborhood, which we know is not the case because we know there's a lot of addictions and a lot of rich neighborhoods, a lot of addictions and a lot of poor neighborhoods as well, right? Um, so when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons because here's what happened. Jesus healed the man, cast the demons out, cast them into a herd of pigs. The herd of pigs ran down the hill and drowned. Because the herd of pigs just went, like, here's these spiritual demons inside of them. Uh, they're not fully uh, uh, benevolent beings anyway, so they just ran down the hill and drowned. And then here's the thing. Pay attention to this. When the people came, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and the people were afraid. And the question that I asked myself and the scripture doesn't say this, but we'll get there. The question I ask myself is, why were they afraid? Because other times, when Jesus cast demons out, this isn't the first time he did it, people were excited, people were grateful, the townspeople were in awe, and they were thankful that, oh, there's someone that can take care of that kind of stuff for us. Thank you, Jesus. But these people were afraid. And those who had seen it, told the other people around them, right, uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs, and then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, this is just me. I can't make a, a, a biblical case for this, but it is likely that the reason they were afraid of what Jesus did and the reason why they asked Jesus to leave the region is because some of the people were okay with the level of spiritual darkness that they were experiencing. There are some people that if you go try to help them, uh, whether it be from addiction, whether it be from mental health, whether it be from drugs, whether it be from alcohol, they're like, I don't want your help because they're okay staying in that place. And that's not to say that every addiction is a spiritual issue. It's just to say that some people don't want to be helped uh, from the situation they're in. Now, Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed, he begged to go with him. And again, I've, 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 I've bounced this off of other people. And I, I, again, can't make the theological case. But some other people believe, yeah, the reason he begged to go with them is because now that I'm free from that, I don't want to go back there because the other people are okay with it. It's like some people, when they're free from an addiction or alcohol or, or from drugs, and they're like, I don't want to go back home because I live in a house where everybody's drinking, everybody's doing drugs, 
everybody's okay with this thing that I've just been set free from. So he begged to go with Jesus, and Jesus didn't let him go, but said, hey, go home to your own people, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. And the Decapolis just means like a 10-city area. If you could imagine if they had a name for like Elizabeth, West Elizabeth, uh, Glassport, Jefferson Hills, all, all this area. We call it the South Hills, but if they numbered all the communities that made up that area, that's all the Decapolis meant. So he went out and he started telling people, hey, guess what? Here's what Jesus has set me free from. And if we want to change our communities, we have to go out and tell people, hey, here's what Jesus has done in my life. Whether it be, here's, here's, here's the, the anger that I used to have that Jesus set me free from. Here's the, the marital problems that I used to have that Jesus set us free from. Here's the, the drugs, the alcohol, the this, the that. Or just, you know what? Here's the financial issues that I was struggling with, and Jesus set me free from that. Anything that Jesus set us free from, if we want to see change in our communities, we have to be willing to go out in our communities uh, and to tell people about it. Now, the next miracle Jesus did was at the request of someone, a parent, on behalf of their child, and that request got interrupted. So Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Again, this crowd came. The last crowd said, hey, we're kind of afraid and we want you to leave. And they gathered around him. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, or Jairus, depending on how you pronounce it, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded with him, my daughter is dying. Please come, excuse me, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, his daughter wasn't dead yet, but she was sick. She was dying. Death was imminent. So he came, and he's like, Jesus, you got to come help me. Can you come heal my daughter? While Jesus was in this crowd of people, and he's like, yeah, let's go. I'm going to heal your daughter. The whole crowd starts moving as he makes his way to Jairus' house. And then this happened. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, spent all that she had, instead kept getting better. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So in this crowd, uh, he's going, Jesus is on his way to go heal Jairus' daughter. There's this woman there, and she's like, wait, maybe, just maybe, if he can go heal her daughter, or his daughter, maybe he can heal me. Because when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Understand that she didn't think that his clothes were magic or that his clothes would do the healing. So don't be fooled, no disrespect, but don't be fooled when you hear the things. I don't even know if they still have them on TV, the guys who say, you know, send me $20 and I'll send you a blessed handkerchief or a blessed this or a blessed that. Skip that, save your $20, ask God for the blessing directly. That, that's just my advice, all right? Uh, if we want change in our lives, we need to demonstrate that same kind of faith. Not in that if we touch this thing or do this thing, it will change our lives. But if we put our faith in Jesus, that he can change our lives, that he can provide the healing, that he can provide the help, that he can provide whatever it is that we need. So the woman reached out, touched his clothes. 
she was healed, Jesus was like, whoa, somebody just touched me and got healed. Now, obviously, he knew it, but he said this for our benefit. Um, the woman, knowing what happened to her, came, fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, again, it wasn't that her touching his cloth healed him. Her faith, her willing to come forward and do it and believing that he could is what healed her. Now, granted, it was Jesus making it happen, but without the faith, she never would have went forward. And the reason they called her a daughter is because, uh, side note, they had this law, right? The, the, the rabbis and, and some of the men in general, but mainly the rabbis, they had this clothing they wore, and around it there was a blue thread that was sewn into the hem, and the thread was soaked in a blue dye, and the blue dye was like uber expensive. So sometimes people would touch that, and they would get frayed, and in order to repair it, it would cost a fortune. So again, not something that God said, but something the Jewish people said is they made a law that if you touched the hem of a rabbi's clothing, unless you were a family member, you were committing a sin. Because they were like, hey, that costs a lot of money, so unless you're a family member, you shouldn't touch it and make anything happen to it. So by calling her a daughter, what Jesus was saying, hey, it's okay she hasn't committed any sin. She's a member of my family, therefore uh, it's okay that she did that. Now, even though we know how this ends, right, uh, while all this was happening, Jesus was still on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, right? While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. See, Jairus thought, hey, I know that you have authority over the human realm. You can heal my daughter. I believe you can do that. But now we're in a whole different scenario because it's not over just healing someone. This is authority over life and death. This is the authority. Do you have the authority to raise the dead? And what Jesus is telling him is, hey, don't be afraid. Just believe, because Jesus is saying, I have authority to raise the dead as well. I have authority over life, and I have authority over death. And we know how this sense. He goes to the house, and he heals her. Shouldn't say heals her, raises her from the dead. Again, this isn't something that because you're a Christian filled with the Spirit of God, we can go raise the dead. That's not what the Bible says. If there is someone who God gives the, that authority to, uh, then if uh, they raise a dead person, okay, that means God gave them the authority. But it doesn't mean that all of us can go out, find dead people, and start raising them from the dead. We don't have that authority. We don't have that permission from God to do that type of thing, right? So this is, this is Jesus, again, demonstrating sovereignty over the spiritual realm over humanity, and over life and death. And there are people today, even though throughout the scriptures, over and over again, Jesus uh, uh, had demonstrated authority over demonic forces, possessed people, cast them out. Over and over again, Jesus healed people who were sick, 
lame, blind, whatever. Uh, I think there were three different occasions where Jesus raised people from the dead and then tells us, hey, when you die, I'm going to raise you from the dead, but into the spiritual realm, and you'll be with him for eternity. But yet people still don't believe him. People still don't believe his word. Instead, people look at him like they did when he went to his hometown. He said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. That word offense is the Greek word scandalizo, where we get the word scandal. It's not just that they were offended. They started they didn't have Twitter, but they started tweeting about it. He's a false prophet. Uh, he's here lying people. He's only out for people's money. He's only trying to gain followers, this, that, and the other. And they created a scandal about it. And that's why it says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his own relatives, in his own home. Because they said about Jesus the same thing they say about many people when they enter into a relationship with God. Well, isn't that Floyd? Isn't that the same guy who, you know, I knew you when you were in third grade. Your babysitter had to come spank you in the front of the class. Now you're trying to preach the word. Isn't that Floyd? I knew you when you used to get drunk in the club. Long, long time ago. Lots of clubs. But yeah, I knew. And now you're trying to tell people not to drink. And uh, the same thing they say about people. There are people who are healed from addictions and drugs and alcohol. And they go out and preach the word. And say, look, I'm a new person. I've been clean X amount of time. I'm, 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 I'm sharing the word of God. And people say the same thing. They say, isn't that the person that just a year ago they were in the club or I saw a homeless or I saw a begging? Or aren't you the person who just did six months in jail or in juvie or this or that? Because that's all they see. And it says he couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And then he went around teaching from village to village. And it wasn't that he couldn't do any miracles because he no longer had access over the spiritual realm or authority over humanity or authority over life and death. He couldn't do any miracles because people wouldn't come. Because they didn't think he had authority. Because they said, you're just so-and-so's little brother. You're just, or older brother. You're just Mary's son. You're just this. You're just that. Instead of acknowledging you're the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth who demonstrated authority over the spiritual realm, over humanity, and over life and death. And you deserve all praise and glory and honor. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your head for a minute because I don't know where everyone is in their spiritual journey. Maybe we look at Jesus and say, hey, he doesn't have the authority over this spiritual aspect of my life, or he doesn't have authority over this human issue that I'm dealing with. But we have read, and we will see over and over and over, where God, you are sovereign over the spiritual realm, over humanity, and over life and death. And whether it be an issue that we're dealing with with anger or frustration or a possible mental health issue or an addiction or whatever it is, we pray that we realize that we can bring it to you to experience newness of life and to be made whole and healing by your hand. We pray that we don't hold anything back 
but we bring all of our issues, all of our burdens, all of our troubles to you. Because we believe that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.